I'm Daniel Levine, and this is Rarecast. Alain Gannot is not your typical biotech entrepreneur. When his son, Eitani, was diagnosed with Duchenne muscular dystrophy, he quit his job as a hedge fund manager with J.P. Morgan in London, relocated his family to Boston, and launched a company focused exclusively on finding treatments for Duchenne. We spoke to Gannot, CEO and founder of Solid Ventures, about his company, the thinking behind his business model, and whether his approach is transferable to other rare diseases. Alan, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you very much. We're going to talk about your company, Solid Ventures, the, the approach it's taking to bring new drugs to market for Duchenne muscular dystrophy and, and the odyssey that, that brought you there. Let's begin with your son, Etani, who was diagnosed at an early age. What led you to the diagnosis, and, and what did you know about the disease then? Well, the second part is easy. I knew nothing. I had never heard the name of this disease before. Um, and what led us to the diagnosis was his uh, his overall condition. He, he was developing a little slower than other kids um, at his age. Already, you know, at six months, he was late to crawl. Then at the year, he was late to walk, which are usually the milestones kids hit around those ages. My wife uh, was getting a little concerned, had asked the specialists to take a look. And it wasn't immediate and it wasn't obvious, but when he was two and a half, eventually, I guess, we hit somebody who suspected something of this caliber and sent him to do the right test. That led to his diagnosis. Well, for our listeners who, who may not be familiar with Duchenne, what is it? How does it progress? How is it treated? And, and, and what's the prognosis? Um, yeah, it's my least favorite part of the interview, as you can imagine. That Duchenne is a, a genetic a muscle-wasting condition. We all have a gene in our body called dystrophin that manufactures a protein that's also called dystrophin and that is very critical to a healthy function of our muscles. We have a lot of muscles and they're all over our body and we use them to breathe and our heart is a muscle itself and we use them in most functions that we, we do during the day. Patients with Duchenne have a, a defective uh, uh, gene in, in every cell in their body that fails to manufacture that protein that therefore isn't being used in the muscle function and it leads to a wasting uh, of our muscles, of the patient's muscles. And over time, what the disease does is initially it looks like they are not just not very well, you know, composed and they they fall more and they are weaker and they're unable to hit development milestones. Unfortunately, usually around the teens, early teens, they will stop walking completely and uh, get into the non-ambulatory phase of the disease. And after they sit in the wheelchair, uh, they tend to lose all muscle function over the next decade or two that leads to their death. 
And at this point, what are the treatment options? The standard of care right now is steroids, which have shown in clinical testing to delay, um, I guess, ambulation, which is to walk a little bit longer, usually about two years on average. Um, they do come with a bunch of side effects that are hard to manage and live with. Um, and so there's, there's, and there's nothing else. So there isn't really anything good to say. Parents like us are very careful with nutrition. There are different food supplements that are believed to have benefit to management of the disease, but there's no real treatment options out there for, for patients and their families and communities. Uh, your life changed pretty dramatically with the diagnosis. Uh, at the time, you were a hedge fund manager with J.P. Morgan in London. How did the diagnosis change things for you? What, what did you do? Uh, well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> so we basically, over the year that followed diagnosis, I quit J.P. Morgan, and I, with my family, we moved from London to Boston, um, and we started a drug development company to focus exclusively on Duchenne muscular dystrophy and find treatments that can, with our help, be advanced uh, to the clinic and hopefully be brought about to patients with the DMD. Well, you, you have a, a background in finance. There, there are plenty of people who, when they're faced with the diagnosis of a child with a rare disease and they, they want to get involved, they get involved in fundraising to drive research, but but you went in a somewhat different direction. Solid Ventures, is, is, despite its sound, is not a venture capital firm. It's a, a biotechnology company. What's the thinking in launching a, a biotech company, particularly for someone from uh, the world of finance? I mean, look, I mean, making drugs is, is, is not an easy thing to do. Uh, it's very expensive. It's very complicated. There are real barriers to to a successful uh, therapy, and I was, you know, I was hopeful that through my uh, background and network and expertise, and obviously personal motivation that that I developed the day my son was diagnosed with this disease, I will be able to mobilize some serious amounts of resources. Uh, not not just money, by the way, but certainly money plays a big part in that. Um, in order to to recruit, you know, the the best efforts out of whoever I can reach, and 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 so it it turned into a company that I helped fund with, you know, two partners, uh, you know, a number of small number of very um, impressive investors who were able to make it possible for us to raise the amount of money that we raise to make us relevant, to make us serious, to hire people, to identify the right therapies, to partner with bigger companies, to, you know, uh, uh, get the attention of the right scientific groups. There's many, uh, you know, ingredients that go into that. And, and, and I think my company is very well positioned to, to tap into all of them. Well, walk us through the business model. Where, where does your pipeline come from, and, and how far do you plan on taking a, a therapeutic through the clinic? It's a good question. Our um, model rests on, first, very deep analysis 
of uh, the, the, the environment, the ecosystem, the of potential options that we have. So we are limited by our interest in this one disease, but within that disease, there is nothing that we cannot do. Um, we are very interested in anything in the world, any different approach. It could be a drug, it could be a device that has a potential to impact this one disease. So part of who we are is we got a really good scientific um, uh, network internally and externally that we use on a day-to-day -day basis to analyze the disease. I hired a guy out of a Harvard a postdoc that did his PhD in this disease and, and as well as his postdoc and he is completely focused on analyzing all the different scientific approaches and, you know, advancing the ones that we care about. Once we get fixated on something that we think, wow, this isn't just, you know, making a lot of sense from a scientific standpoint, but also has the right data and financial opportunity, in other words, this is something we can get involved in and with our resources better in some way, um, then we negotiated the commercial terms of our engagement. Um, we're not a charity, we don't write charity checks, we don't fund other people's work unless it is directly related to our ability to advance a treatment to the clinic, uh, but if it is possible for us to, you know, come in with our expertise and our checkbook, then we are able to strike a deal that structurally makes sense both for us and to whoever is working on this therapy, you know, before we step in, then we have a deal and then we move forward together with those partners, you know, with the patients in mind. We've done this four times by now uh, and, and, you know, it's only been a year, almost a year since we started. We've done two deals with Pfizer on two small molecules they have that we are testing together in animal models with a scope of taking them straight to a phase two. They're both different from one another and, and, and they're both cool if they work. And then uh, we also have a gene therapy company, which is something we started ourselves and we just partnered with uh, three uh, groups in the UK who are partnering with us on, on advancing the gene therapy approach. And that, uh, that, you know, is a company we funded, um, we started, we hired the first full-time employee to, uh, you know, last month, and that's the project manager. And, and, and that alone, uh, you know, is a real big effort that we are coordinating. And the last fourth is actually the device that we're working with, a group on the West Coast called SRI International, a group, group of, of, of robotics experts who are looking to repurpose existing uh, assistive technologies for, for service in our disease. So each of those is its own story, you know, it's on genesis, and and in all cases they are relevant for our disease. They are, in, you know, mostly funded by us, and, and we have great options in taking it forward based on the current stage of science and where it's going. You believe this approach will <clears throat> speed up development of drugs and solve fundamental problems in the drug development process. I, I, I guess part of the rationale here is that there is a a pipeline of, of promising drugs that for one reason or another are, are languishing on the shelves. Is that what you're finding as you go out and look for potential drugs to in license? Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say that we're looking for drugs because it sounds to me like drugs is something that's already been approved for somebody else's problems. 
Um, if I came across a drug that's approved, then there wouldn't be much for me to do. We're just going to need to find a way to get reimbursed in our disease and give it to patients. That's another interesting strategy. Um, I'm looking for clinical candidates in most cases. So things that already look pretty damn good, either in animals or in the lab, but with a scope to very quickly get to humans. So I think our sweet spot is where there's already been established that this has a great potential to work. And, and you know, either we want to finish preclinical work and go to the clinic, or we can go straight to the clinic. Well, in the world of drug development, you, you were able to raise $17 million in short order, a, a chunk of that coming from your former employer. What was the investment case, and, and how does the narrow focus, which certainly makes sense for a father with a son with a rare disease without treatment, but does it make sense to investors, the case you make? Well, it obviously did do enough for us to get going in a very robust way. Uh, it's not a straightforward case. It did require, you know, um, some, 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 some working on and modeling and some very detailed financial analysis. But when it comes to a disease like Duchenne muscular dystrophy, it's actually a pretty simple case. Anything we touch that works will be worth a lot of money to our investors because it's a, it's a horrible disease. It is a monster unmet need. Uh, it has got a whole lot of patients, and they're all dying, and there's nothing we can do for them. There's very few people who would question the reimbursement uh, potential of a drug that works in this condition. There is a very good economic framework through the orphan drug, you know, uh, regulatory framework out there. In other words, if you got something that works for this disease, you will be reimbursed well for selling it. And, and, and I think for, for the drug development world, it's, it's become a very, very attractive disease to, to focus on. For me, I wish, I wish I had another one to choose from, you know, so yes, it does make a ton of sense to me, but I think our investors are, you know, they, they, they did not write this in charitable fashion. They took a very long, hard look at the model. They asked very tough questions. JP Morgan, who you mentioned, who, you know, was amazing in how they treated me as an employee first and then how they led this investment round we did, uh, you know, a year ago. Uh, um, they they spent a lot of time and they had a lot of people working on this investment and decided to do it. So the, the sad thing is that $17 million in this world is not a lot of money. How far do you expect that to take you? You know, $17 million in this world is a lot of money if you spend them well. And in this world, if you are able to generate positive data, then there's a lot more money that will come in based on that. So I think for us, the critical path is to first selecting well and then demonstrating with data that we selected well. And if we were able to do those two, the steps that will follow will involve raising more money and we will have quite a lot of investors lining up for that stage. We probably already do. Well, do you think this is an approach that will work for other diseases? Is there something unique about Duchenne, or is this something that you think others could replicate? Well, that's a, that's a good question. I don't know enough about other diseases to be very 
you know, uh, uh, you know, to have a strong view. I would be very surprised if there weren't quite a few diseases that this could work for, though. I think it has to do with the prevalence, with the potential market size for treatments that work. You know, the, we've seen models in companies like Alexion and uh, and Biomarin and a few others that have shown that even very rare diseases have an economic value, Genzyme. So, you know, there's no question that if you know what you're doing and if you're able to address these markets, then, you know, there is a prize at the end of the road. I, there would be many diseases, though, where science isn't ready to address yet, perhaps because we don't know the root cause, perhaps because, you know, we haven't quite figured out what's really wrong with the patient or we don't know how to find them in which case it would be more difficult to mount a commercial case. Um, but in DMD, you know, we know exactly what's wrong, we know exactly what the patients are, we just need to find a way to help them. Okay, while we've got you, the, the J.P. Morgan Healthcare Conference, the, the industry's biggest and most important financial conference of the year, is going to be held at the start of January. It brings not only about 7,500 people to the conference itself, but about 20,000 to the city for meetings and, and shadow conferences, and I, I take it you'll be attending this year, is that correct? Yeah, of course. I've actually attended for the last three years, and I have to admit that the first time I attended was two months after my son was diagnosed, and in a way, Solid probably started there in a big way. Well, how, how would you describe the conference to someone who's not familiar with it, and, and the whole week for, for biotech companies, particularly ones like yours? Well, uh, I mean, one of the most difficult things about biotech, and I guess maybe about many, maybe other industries too, is that um, oftentimes the people that you need attention from are on the other side of the world in a different time zone and have a whole set of things that they need to do and not just free to meet with you on your timetable. Uh, uh, the J.P. Morgan Conference and, and J.P. Morgan have been able to gain this sort of prominence in the industry, I think, through doing this for so many years and doing it well, is that for a week in January, the entire industry is in San Francisco and probably walking around uh, Union Square, uh, you know, for 14 days of every day. And the number of people you can meet and even, you know, either in the bar over a drink without planning or with very diligent planning and a lot of schedules being uh, exchanges as we speak is humongous. I mean, you cannot achieve the same amount of face time with all the people that you would dream of meeting uh, in one week any other time of the year. So, you know, for small companies, for big companies, the ability to get stuff done is 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 beyond beyond compared to any other week of the year. Uh, if you, if you get to San Francisco and manage to find a hotel room. So, what advice would you have for a rare disease company or an advocate looking to maximize that time and that opportunity? I think you can make the assumption that whoever you want to meet is either going to be there or their boss is going to be there, and so you want to be very careful and specific about your approaches. Make yourself available find time. It might just be 15 minutes for coffee between other meetings. Be aggressive. But, you know, whoever you want to meet is going to be, be there. So just make sure you meet them and, and have your best foot forward for the elevator pitch because it might just get you where you need to be. 
Alon Ganot, CEO and founder of Solid Ventures. Alon, thanks so much for your time today. Thank you for your time. A quick housekeeping note, over on the Bio Report podcast this week, you can hear Edward Lanfear, CEO of Sangamo Biosciences and the chairman of the Alliance for Regenerative Medicine, discuss the movement from chronic therapies to cures. Thanks for listening. For more information about rare disease and to connect to the rare disease community, go to globalgenes.org. To keep up on the latest news and trends affecting the rare disease community, be sure to visit raredaily.org. You can subscribe to the Rarecast RSS feed through raredaily.org or through SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast manager. The Rarecast is produced for Global Genes by the Levine Media Group. You can also find our podcast, The Bio Report, on these popular podcast sites. Our theme music is composed by Jonah Levine and performed by the Jonah Levine Collective. We'd love to hear from you. Drop us a note at danny at levinemediagroup.com.